Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to another episode of Revolution Recap. We're coming to you after the U.S. men's national team 1-0 victory over Iran that saw the U.S. advance to the round of 16, where they'll take on the Netherlands on Saturday at 10 a.m. Very exciting World Cup matchup for the U.S. Christian Pulisic gave the U.S. the lead in the 38th minute, sacrificing his body to get on the end of a Serginho desk cross. And the U.S. held on from there, although there were some scary moments at the end that we'll get into to to grab a all-important victory and advance in second place uh, at a Group B just behind England. I'm Sean Donahue, and joining me today is Tanner Rubello. Tanner, how's it going? I'm taking a deep exhale, Sean. <laughs> yeah. How are you? Yeah, how are your nerves after that one? <laughs> <laughs> Not great. <laughs> Yeah, that was uh, a very I, I thought there was potential for this game the way the U.S. was playing in the first half for them to you know be up two, three, nothing. Um, there was that Timothy Weah goal uh, that I think was after Pulisic's goal that was ruled offside. That was just fractionally offside I, live. I thought it was onside um, that could have put the U.S. up to nothing. And then there was that three on two break that the U.S. had that I think it was I think it was Weah that got off with the ball on the right side of the box and tried to cross it back in instead of shooting and um, with, I think, Pulisic and, and Sargent there. Uh, couldn't get the ball that either of them got blocked. So it, it, it could have been a lot more comfortable than it was. Um, but with that said, let's get right into our key takeaways, which are brought to you by our friends at the Rebellion Supporters Group. Uh, be sure to check them out at Any Rebellion on Twitter and at their website, anyrebellion.org. Uh, and Tanner, what was your key takeaway from this one? My key takeaway, it was mission accomplished for the United States. They went into this game knowing they needed to win, needing to get that result to move on from the group stages. And they did it, right? So mission accomplished for them. I think going into this World Cup, the goal was to get out of the group stage. Now they're in the knockout playing the Netherlands on Saturday. So they accomplished their goal, in my opinion. I think anything from here is a sort of a gravy on the top for them. Yeah, I agree with you. I think the the expectation or the, the goal was to get into the round of 16 and anything on top of that is great. Um, I, we'll talk a bit at the end about the matchup with the Netherlands. I, I you know, that'll be a very interesting one. But, um, you know, the U.S. was in a group where I think they were basically even with Wales as far as, you know, who was going to advance and, and the odds before the, the tournament started. I think the U.S. were slightly favored to advance in second place. Um, and so they, you know, they, they reached their goal and now they're going to a tough matchup with the Netherlands. And, you know, I think going into this final match, um, you know, before the tournament, anyone would have, would have taken the, you know, the U.S. being in a position where they controlled their own destiny against Iran and at late. And they did that. They got the win. Uh, like you said, mission accomplished. And I, I thought it was overall a, a pretty solid performance from the U.S. again, where they could have won by more than they did um, and, you know, kept us from being on the edge of our seats and, and uh, at, the, at the edge of our nerves towards the end of that game. Yeah, I think you can look at the United States and you could see that they were the more quality on their, their side. They played better than Iran uh, for the majority of the game, especially in that first half. It kind of reminded me of the Wales first half where they got a ton of chances. They were playing quick. They were playing with success out wide. Sergino Dest looked really, really good. Um, you know, they weren't able to get that put away goal, that second goal, which occurred against Wales as well. This time they were able to see out that result, which I think showed some sort of leadership on their part to be able to drain down the clock and to see out the result. Um, obviously, there were some nerves there. There were some questionable substitutions. But at the end of the day, they really impressed me with their composure down the stretch. Yeah, it was it was a great, great performance from the U.S. where they you know, finally put close to a full 90 minute performance, got the got the goal held on. Um, I honestly didn't think Iran was that much of a threat until kind of late in the game um, when they had to pile the pressure on to, to try to eke, eke out a draw. Um, you know, 
Matt Turner for for all of his all the goodies done in this tournament didn't have that that much to do in this game, which was obviously a, a good sign. Um, my key takeaway is focused on Tyler Adams, and you know he was named the captain going into this tournament. I think a lot of people expected it to be Pulisic, um, and boy has he risen to the occasion. Uh, most touches in this game with 84, 90% passing accuracy. Uh, he was just everywhere the U.S. needed him to be. Cogging gaps defensively, he had three tackles, three successful tackles, three for three on that. Um, and just a, a very, very strong performance that goes along with two previous very strong performances uh, for the U.S. The, the 23-year-old has really stepped up um, and has been an absolute key for the U.S. And I think it was very clear um, that he deserved to be named captain based on these performances. And I, I think his composure uh, and what was a very tough pregame press conference going into this match, too, in which he was asked all sorts of political questions, um, was very impressive as well. So I've just been very, very impressed both on and off the field of what Tyler Adams has done for this U.S. side. And uh, the 23-year-old is doing extremely well in the Premier League for Leeds and I think has a very, very bright future ahead of him, um, both in the Premier League and for the U.S. But he was just one of those guys that a lot of pressure was put on him going into this tournament. Uh, And his role as a defensive midfielder for the U.S., he's just been fantastic um, and, you know, arguably the most important player for the U.S. in these first three games, I'd say. Yeah, I think coming into the World Cup, everyone kind of expected Pulisic to get the captain's armband. But, you know, Tyler Adams has really shown that he deserves it. Obviously, the off the field stuff with the geopolitical question that he you know, took us some class and um, really gave a great answer to. But in this game, he, he really was all over the place. Uh, there was a moment where um, where Wright pressured the goalkeeper and then. Tyler Adams went up and filled that space to put pressure on the ball um, and force a turn force a mistake. And you just see it throughout the field, all over the pitch. Tyler Adams is there. Um, to me, he was probably the best player of group stages for the United States. Yeah, it's it's been fantastic to see his development. And it's just crazy just to think how young this team is, uh, with the exception of, of Tim Ream and Matt Turner started after the match, with the exception of Tim Ream. You know, everyone in the squad, well, with the exception of Turner, too, is, is 24. Everyone started in this game is 24 or younger. Um, so it's just extremely impressive to to see them play with the composure that they did and to advance out of this group stage. Um, and, you know, big match coming up against the Netherlands. But I think all of this also, not to get ahead of ourselves, but bodes very, very well for 2026 when the U.S. is hosting the World Cup and all of these guys have, you know, three and a half more years experience, have this World Cup under their belt and, um, you know, three and a half more years to kind of come together and, and figure everything out. So uh, a lot to be excited about. I know I know when you were doing this podcast uh, after the the Wales game, there was a lot more apprehension and a lot more questions about how things would turn out. Um, uh, I, I bet you're a lot more happy now. <laughs> yeah, a lot more happy. I think after that Wales match, we saw, you know, a great first half and they couldn't put it together. They had the penalty um, that Garrick Bale put away when Walkersman followed him in the penalty box. And there was a lot of uncertainty after that match, especially going into the match against England. But against England, they were able to get the job done and get that point. And that put themselves in the position here to, to go out and get three points against Iran. And, um, you know, definitely can breathe easier now, right? Mission accomplished uh, from the perspective of the United States. But now you can really look ahead and it's anyone's game, right? It's It's a one-off game with Netherlands and you know really anything can happen so at this point you can't help but feel a little bit more optimistic than after the Wales game yeah and there were a couple topics from this game I wanted to get into Um, before we jump into those I do want to take a minute to talk about the sponsor of this podcast Glocko Kits Glocko Kits is the go-to place to bring unique vintage jerseys to your home the passion for the beautiful game doesn't have borders and neither does the selection and if you head to GlockoKits.com today you can get 15% off your order using the code RevsRecap that's RevsRecap at checkout for 15% off your order I was just checking it out earlier there's tons of exciting and cool vintage U.S. men's national team kits and memorabilia that you can get now and if you're like me 
and very excited for the round of 16. Uh, lots of lots of cool stuff on there. Um, I did want to quickly jump into the the lineup um, that we saw on this one. It was the same lineup we've seen all tournament, um, with the exception of Cameron Carter-Victor is coming in for Walker Zimmerman, and then Josh Sargent, who started the first game, was benched for Hudge right in the second, was back in the starting lineup at striker. Um, I'm not too surprised by the Sargent for Wright. We talked about this in the last podcast that I, don't, I didn't think Wright did, you know, maybe enough in that second game to, to justify starting him again. Uh, but what, did you have any thoughts on that one? And I guess more the the bigger change was as Cameron Carter-Victor is in for for Walker Zimmerman. Yeah, I think Sargent looked fine. Um, you know, he had some opportunities as well. Uh, you know, later in that uh, second half, he was pulled off a right because he was more of a defensive. You need something more to hold up play and things like that. But I think you're right. I think the uh, center back was the big thing um, with Carter Vickers. I think he plays a little bit better with his feet uh, than Walker Zimmerman. And obviously Zimmerman had that big mistake uh, against Gareth Bale in the Wales game. I thought Carter Vickers looked good, though, uh, for the majority of this game. Um, and I think Tim Ream, again, impressed, right? Tim Ream continues at his age, 35 years old, to start three matches in a row in the World Cup. Um, really, really impressed with Tim Ream, to be honest with you. I didn't expect to see him start all three matches for the United States. No, I think going into the World Cup, most people didn't even expect to see him on the roster. Um, and now he's come in and started all three games and played phenomenally well. And I think been the, the most solid defensive player um, that we've seen on the U.S. for this World Cup. So uh, seeing the 35-year-old play that well, you just hope he can you know, continue to recover as well for the next game as he has for the first three. Um, because obviously a lot of minutes in, in a short time for an older player. But um, getting back to Cameron Carter-Vickers, that move surprised me. I thought Walker Zimmerman, you, you, know, you mentioned the play against Bale. Um, that was obviously a big blunder on his part. And then I think in the second game, his passing um, at, at times when he was trying to kind of play more uh, creative passes uh, through the midfield really caused problems for the U.S. and the turnovers. Um, although I, I thought defensively he was very good against England. I did not expect to see this change. Uh, what I did think was interesting was I believe it was Stu Holden during the broadcast talked about why Greg Berhalter said he was going to make the change. Um, and he said he was going to make the change because Cameron Carter-Victor plays for Celtic FC in Scotland. Um, and if you follow the Scottish Premier League at all or know anything about it, they're a dominant force in that league and pretty much against anybody. They're in possession with a lot of possession and they're playing opponents that are playing counterattacking soccer. Um, so Greg Berhalter said, he, you know, Cameron Carter-Victor is so used to the situation that, it, you know, it seemed like the right matchup for him to play in. Um, and, you know, again, I was surprised when I saw this initially, but when I heard that logic from Greg Berhalter, it actually, to me, makes a lot of sense. Um, with that said, though, I, I, it is scary to me to have Carter Vickers and Reem playing center back together in a must-win World Cup game when the two of them had never played center back together in, in the history of the, the U.S. men's national team. Uh, it's a, quite the quite the time and showed quite the faith to kind of experiment with a, a new center back pairing. Um, like you said, they played well, but that that surprised me. Yeah, I, I think there, it's very easy to always sort of get on Greg Berhalter for some of his decisions, but at the end of the day, they turn in a clean sheet in a must-win game, right? So they accomplished that job. This is only this uh, since 1930. It's the first time since 1930 the United States posted two consecutive clean sheets in World Cup matches, uh, which is beyond impressive. Obviously, the fact that you had a player playing alongside a center-back pairing for the first time ever in a World Cup game, in a must-win game, you know, it's certainly a little surprising, but it's, I think it shows the faith that Berhalter has in his players and his decision-making. You know, he's really shied away from his decisions. Um, you know, this one turned out to be a success for him. Yeah, it was it was a great move for him, and I think it worked out very well. 
Um, let's talk about some of the, the substitutions we saw in this one. The first one was Brendan Aronson coming on for Christian Pulisic at halftime. Uh, Pulisic got injured, scoring that goal, collided with the goalkeeper. Um, they said in the broadcast that he, at halftime he went to the hospital with an abdominal injury. He was able to come back on and close out the half. I, I can't remember if it was, what, six or seven minutes. Or actually, with stoppage time, it was probably more like ten minutes that he played um, after that injury. So I, I guess that was a good sign. But uh, I don't know if you heard anything else, but obviously worrying that Pulisic, who's you know, arguably the U.S.'s best attacking player and who had a fantastic game in the first half today. Um, two key passes, two shots on frame and scoring the goal, obviously, and also, you know, set up way for the goal in the first game. Um, they need him against the Netherlands. So do, I, I, how worried are you about this injury? Have you heard anything else other than just, you know, what I heard that he went to the hospital with an abdominal injury? Yeah, I know Craig Peralta was asked after the game about the status and he didn't have an update yet at this point in terms of status Christian Pulisic. Um, it was certainly very concerning, right? He gave up his body there, scored a goal, and I think it was worth it. You know, even if you lose Pulisic against the Netherlands, I think it was worth it just in the sense that that goal got you out of the group stage, right? Like, that was the goal. Um, sort of to see him battling, too, when he came back. I didn't, I didn't think he was going to get back on the field there in the first half. And the fact he was able to sort of power through it and knowing now that he had to go to the hospital to get scans on his abdominal, um, just beyond impressed with that. But I think without him against the Netherlands, if you don't have him potentially – or if he's even limited, you know, he just attracts so much attention. Um, you know, you just watch opposing teams are setting two, three, they're always touching and they're always being physical with Plissick. Um, you know, there's a lot of respect that he gains from his opponent um, and he draws attention with other players. So, you know, if he's not on the field, it's going to be um, very, very interesting to see what Berhalter does. Yeah, he's absolutely key for the U.S. Um, a focal point of that attack, like you said, he draws a lot of attention. Um, you know, he's been such a key part for the U.S. for a long time, despite his young age. So, um, I, fingers crossed that he recovers and is back for the Netherlands game. But that's going to be a, a, quite the the challenge for Greg Berhalter to figure out how to to plan around that if he's not. Um, certainly something to watch. And you know, it was it was great to see him score that goal, but really, you know disappointing that he had to, to leave at halftime hopefully hopefully everything was a bit more precautionary than there's than they're letting on but um the fact that he went to the hospital obviously not great uh the next sub was uh Kellen Acosta for Weston McKenney at the 65th minute it seems like McKenney, you know he came into the world cup he had an injury uh before it not not 100 percent fit not 90 minutes fit hasn't been playing a lot of minutes um it is it seems like 65 minutes is about as much as McKenney can go right now so that that sub was kind of forced I, I didn't have any issues with Acosta for McKenney, especially since Aronson was already on the field and, and the U.S. was leading did you no I think that was the right sub at the moment I think he put Acosta in he's been very effective for the United States he's not a one-sided player either he can play a little bit offensively as well he's good on set pieces traditionally so I had no issue with that sub I think that was the right move for them yeah, I, I did have an issue speaking of set pieces, and I'll talk about that more later. But when uh, they had that set piece later in the game and, and Musa took it and Acosta was out there, it was kind of a chance to shoot from, I, I don't know, what was it, maybe 25 yards out, kind of centered, and Musa just shot it over the bar. I don't know why Acosta's not taking that, but we, we can we can talk about set pieces a bit later. Um, the other sub, the next sub, 77th minute, was Haji Wright for Josh Sargent. This was another one that was forced by an injury. Uh, it didn't look good. Josh, Josh Sargent kind of jumped over a sliding tackle, and then his foot landed on top of the ball. Uh, I, I, don't, I didn't hear, did you hear any details on what that injury was? But uh, they did say on the broadcast that he was crying on the bench visibly, which is obviously not a good sign. No, it was a weird fall, too. Uh, it was a weird altercation there uh, for Josh Sargent. I thought Sargent should have came off even before that. I know in the broadcast, I think they mentioned as well that sub on and put on a different striker to more hold up play and better hold up play. So I was 
obviously it was sort of a forced move, but I think even in hindsight, it's a move they probably should have made anyway. Um, you know, no update on Josh Sargent, unfortunately, though. Yeah, although I, I, I do say I don't think Haji Wright had a great game in his limited minutes. Um, he had that chance at the end where he took a weak shot on frame where he could have basically run run the game out if he ran to the corner flag and put the U.S. under a bit more pressure um, by, by doing that. So I, I I agree that the sub could have come sooner. I don't think any striker for the sergeant, I thought, actually had a, a decent game, probably the best of the three games we've seen so far from the U.S. striker, but still didn't have, you know, that much of an impact. Um, so I, I, I agree it would have made sense to bring on a striker earlier, but what, what's it going to take for Jesus Ferreira to get on the field? That's a great question. You know, I think coming into this World Cup, you know, if you looked at the form with their club, it's Jesus Ferreira, clearly. But, you know, the fact that MLS ends so much earlier and he hadn't played in a while, I think maybe that played a factor for Greg Berhalter. Um, and I think maybe if they needed a goal there late and Sargent goes out, maybe you put in Jesus Ferreira in that situation. Um I still think the United States doesn't have a clear striker. You know, I, I still think that's an issue for them. I think Sargent has looked good. He looked good better today, like you said. Um, but I just don't think they have a clear striker. And I think Ferrer is clearly the one that's most informed. So it's head, head scratching for sure. Um, but Giorena not making the field today also said scratching. Yeah, going into this tournament, my two biggest concerns were the center backs. And, you know, that hasn't been that much of a concern because Tim Bream has been so good. And, you know, Walker Zimmerman, for his, his few mistakes, was pretty good. And Cameron Carter-Rickers was pretty good. So that, that hasn't been that much of a concern. But um, the other thing going into this tournament was who was going to be the striker. And like you said, I think we still don't really know the answer to that. Um, you know, Haji Wright, I, I was happy to see him as part of the roster because he's been scoring so many goals in Turkey. He's been in fantastic form. Josh Sargent's been in, in good form in the English Championship as well. Um, but, you know, neither of those guys have had that much success at the national team level or that much experience at the national team level. Um, and, you know, we were kind of hoping, keeping your fingers crossed, that their club form would translate to the national team. And, you know, I don't want to say they've been bad. I don't think they've been particularly bad, but it just it, it hasn't translated uh, yet. Nobody's gotten on the score sheet and nobody's had that much of an impact. So I, that's one spot that, you know, Sargent could very well be out for the Netherlands game. Uh, we will, I'm sure we'll find out more this week. But um, if, I think if you're Greg Berhalter, you have to consider going with Jesus Ferreira for that game. Right. I, don't, I just don't think Haji Wright has has shown enough. No, I think you have to go with Aces for for sure. Um, I think that's the logical step. I don't know what Peralta's necessarily thinking here. I think depending on the you know availability of Sargent's going to play a factor in that. Yeah. Well, let's let's get into um, the subs that I didn't like, and that was the subs in the 82nd minute where Walker Zimmerman came on for Timothy Weah and Shaq Moore came on for Serginho Dest, and this was the U.S. going to a five-man backline to try to close out the game. Um, and, you know, given stoppage time, I think, you know, they played another, what, 18, 19 minutes after that. So this, this was a lot of time um, in which you're kind of bunkering a bit and, and playing more defensive. Uh, and at least for me, I thought the U.S. was doing pretty well in the formation they were in, was, you know, controlling a lot of possession, was creating chances and kind of playing on the front foot uh, for a lot of it. And, and Iran hadn't really created that much. Um, so for me, it was frustrating to see them kind of and, and I never like what anyone does is I, I it drives me nuts when Bruce Arena goes on and throws on Omar Gonzalez to try to close out a game. Uh, and again, Walker Zimmerman is, is a much better player than Omar Gonzalez. I'm not trying to compare the two, but just that that, that strategy is something that I've never liked. Um, maybe if you're doing it in stoppage time to, you know, you have five minutes left or something. OK, but uh, with 18 minutes left, I, I didn't like kind of conceding and conceding possession and, and kind of sacrificing offense for for defense and 
to close out the game. What, what, what were your thoughts on that? Because for me, it was it was frustrating. And I think part of the reason why the last, you know, 18 minutes were so, so nerve wracking. I don't like to see either, um, but I think look at Sujuno you know, Des, Timothy Weah, you could tell that they needed a breather. Even uh, Yunus Musa looked absolutely gassed at the end of the game. I think most of the players were, to be fair. But I would have liked to see maybe Gio Reyna go in for Weah. Maybe you could have kept Dest out there a little bit longer to make that substitution, then put in Shaq more. Um, I just would have kept more of attacking, more of possession. Uh, I think they really conceded possession. Obviously, they went five at the back. They bunkered in. They basically said, hey, come and get us. And that puts that pressure, right? It puts the pressure on Matt Turner and goal. Obviously, I had a couple shouts for handball, shouts for penalty, things of that nature at the end. It was very, very nerve-wracking. Um, I just think when your plan is to bunker in for 20 minutes and just defend, I think it's very, very difficult on your players. Um, I don't think it's a very successful strategy. Ultimately, they saw the result, right? Um, but I think it just adds unnecessary pressure to your defense. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And you know, the other thing I'll say, I, I also like to have seen Gio Reyna. I don't know what it's going to take to get him more than 10 minutes on the field. I think him for way, uh, I think earlier in the game too, uh, maybe even before that sergeant injury happened, um, I would have liked to have seen. Because I think Timothy Weah, who's been you know, very good in this tournament, um, the final pass, the final the final shot in this game was a little bit off for him. Um, and again, we know how talented Gio Reyna is, so it's disappointing to not see more of him. But the one the one thing I want to say, too, is about Shaq Moore. Um, I kind of gave him a pass on the England game, but I, I didn't think he looked very good in um, replacing Serginho Dest. And the U.S. has two other options there. They have Yedlin, who came into the Wales game. And then they have Joe Scally, who's been playing extremely well uh, in Germany at right back. Um, I personally would have rather seen either of those two guys come in at right back. And, I, I, you know, Moore had a, a bad turnover in this one. Um, there weren't too many you know, low lights, but I, I just didn't think he was um, he offered as much as you kind of you hoped coming off the bench. So for me, I would have rather seen Scally or Yedlin. And I kind of hope if they get into that situation against Netherlands, that it's it's one of them instead. Yeah, Moore was two for seven uh, with his passes when he came in. Um, so not very effective. And I agree with you. I think. Maybe it's a time for another player to play. Um, but we'll see with Greg Berhalter. You know, seems to like his players' rotations right now. There's a lot of players on his bench that have not seen a minute yet. Yeah, and again, Joe Scali was one of those guys that we weren't sure whether or not he'd make the roster. He did make the roster. He's been playing, again, extremely well in, in Germany and the Bundesliga, um, but hasn't seemed to have cracked into kind of Greg Berhalter's rotation at all. Um. So I, I do want to touch on Gio Reyna once more. This was kind of a controversy going into the match. There was some talk from Eric Ronaldo that uh, Greg Berhalter had told Gio Reyna to pretend he was injured. And that's why he missed the last match. Um, and then he came back and said, actually, that didn't happen. Uh, so there's a lot of controversy there. And do you think that Eric Ronaldo going out there and saying this stuff and kind of the controversy that he raised it might be part of the reason why Greg Berhalter hasn't given Reyna more minutes in this game? I feel like there has to be something, right? It's either he's actually injured or there's some weird controversy going on behind the scenes that we won't find out until after the World Cup, right? Like, there has to be something going on because everyone's clamoring for Giovanni to play. Um, so I think there's something there. But Peralta yeah. but always seems to be a scandal going on. Yeah, and just one quick note. We talked about um, the injuries, potential injuries of guys that could miss the, the next match. Uh, fortunately, nobody got yellow card accumulation suspensions through the first three games. But, um, you know, if you're really hopeful that the U.S. is going to advance past this game, one thing to keep an eye on is uh, 
Tyler Adams, Sergio Dest, Weston McKinney, Tim Ream, Kalana Costa are, are all one yellow card away from suspension with the stupid World Cup rules that doesn't reset uh, until the semifinal. So you got five key players um, that you got to keep an eye on as far as avoiding yellow cards in the next round if the U.S. is to advance past it. Um, a little bit, a little bit worrying, but I think we're getting ahead of ourselves if we're looking past the round of 16, right? Yeah, you got to go game by game. Anything can happen. Um, all cards are on the table, right? Like th- this is really going to be a game by game situation, minute by minute. You know, at this point, I think everything's gravy. Like they accomplished their job, and now let's see what they can do. And one last topic on the U.S. national team before we talk a quick bit about Rev's news. Uh, set pieces. I talked about this in the last podcast, how frustrating um, they've kind of been. I thought Pulisic was a bit better in the England game at set pieces than he was in the Wales game. Uh, and then I thought he kind of regressed back to the service of the Wales game in this one. Um, I mentioned the the free kick after he was off that Musa took where Acosta was on the field. To me, Acosta is probably the best free kick taker on the U.S. except for maybe Reyna, um, who, you know, again, isn't playing. Uh, so I was very surprised not to see Acosta. But, um, you know, the U.S. back in June hired a coach to be a set piece specialist for the World Cup. Uh, so far, the returns have not looked good, very good, have they? No, it's it's kind of shocking. I think the best opportunity they had was when Pulisic tried to play it short to death. So you just have the full purchase on the pass. That was a good idea. That was a little bit of creativity. But that's really the best we've seen, and they didn't even execute it. You know, yeah. it's, it's been poor crosses that have, haven't gone to the box or haven't found a runner. It's just it's been very, very subpar considering the amount of opportunities they've had. Yeah, the, the amount of crosses that have been blocked by the first defender is just extremely frustrating. And there's been very few times um, where I've seen a U.S. set pieces and thought, and thought they were going to score or had a threat because of how bad they've been. Um, I will say the one time I thought they had a great chance was that, was that one that Musa took and launched over the bar because I know Acosta is very good from from that range. So I, I don't know what the thought process is on some of this stuff. But I, I mean, is there somebody that they in the starting lineup that can take set pieces better than Pulisic? I, uh, off the top of my head, I can't think of anybody. You know, Reina and Acosta on the bench obviously can, but um, they're not playing enough. I don't know. I don't know. Is there is there an alternative on the starting lineup? <laughs> yeah, maybe it's Weston McKinney. Maybe it's something like that. Um, but I think they're just going to ride with Pulisic. I don't think they're going to go away from him unless he's injured. And then that's going to be a good question, right? Depending on what that lineup looks like. Yeah, it's, it's just tough because I feel like historically the U.S. has been very good on set pieces and they have a lot of big bodies out there. Um, so, uh, you know, at some point it's going to come back to haunt them that they haven't been able to convert uh, or even make too much danger on those. Um, with that said, I did want to give a, a quick talk about the Revs who have signed 17-year-old Santiago Suarez, a six foot five center back who was part of the Sacramento Republic uh, USL Championship Team's Academy. Um, he's signed for the Revolution. He's going to spend one year with Revs 2 and then will be able to sign with the first team in 2024 as a homegrown. He's a USU-19 international. Um, we talked a bit before the show about kind of the weird MLS rules that allow you to you know, spend one year uh, in the second team and then all of a sudden become a homegrown now. Um, you know, Esmer did that a couple years ago, if, if people recall. Uh, what's your thoughts on the signing? It seems like an exciting signing for the future for the Revs, right? Especially at a position that um, we all know the Revs could use more depth in, though it won't it won't help them this year. Right, a 17 year old that's six foot five, right, center back, has U.S. youth national team experience. Party has played in the championship with Sacramento FC, um, played for the U19 and U17 academy teams. I think it's very very exciting for the Revolution to get a young center back prospect uh obviously not for this year but if you just look at their starters right now Andrew Farrell Henry Kessler Farrell's obviously played a ton of minutes he's getting older Kessler like you're not really committed to him for too much longer um and obviously John Bell left Omar Gonzalez is still here but 
you could always use depth at that position. And I like them going outside the box, looking at other academy teams and starting to post that talent. Um, I think it was a creative move for them and certainly something more about the future than the present because they still need a center back. Yeah, it's a it's a exciting move for the future, um, but I think a lot more moves need to happen this offseason for the first team um, be, to, to say they've improved upon last year, and they certainly need to do that. So uh, we're still keeping an eye out. Bobby Wood, we mentioned him in the last podcast. No word yet on if the Revolution have agreed to a contract with him, um, but otherwise it's been relatively quiet the past few weeks in Revs land. Uh, before we finish up, big game against the Netherlands. We've talked about it. Any predictions for that match? I don't have any predictions for that match. I think it's going to be a nail-biter. I don't think the United States can get run over. I think you look at the Netherlands, obviously they won their group. Um, you know, they did have a draw against Ecuador, uh, who ended up not making out the group stage. So I think there is a potential there to go against the Netherlands and see out a result, but it's going to be a very difficult game for the United States. Yeah, I, I don't think this is this is a very good Netherlands team, first of all, but I don't think it's as good of a Netherlands team as we've seen historically. Um, you know, there's been some very, very good attacking Netherlands teams like some Arjun Robin um, in the past. And I don't think this team is quite to that level. They do have one of the best defenders in the world, Virgil van Dijk. Um, so, you know, that's <laughs> it's obviously going to be tough for the U.S. To, to score against them. But I, I, I don't think this is is. Um, you know, one of those Netherlands teams that you look at and, and think the U.S. is going to get completely blown out. I'm going to go out and give a, a crazy prediction. I think it's going to be nail better, like you said. I think it's going to be a 1-1 draw that goes to penalty kicks, and Matt Turner is the hero, and the U.S. advances that way. I don't know if I'll survive if that's how uh, nail-biting it is, but that's my prediction for this one. Um, kind of dependent on Pulisic playing. Uh, if he's not playing, I feel a lot less confident. But uh, I, I'm extremely excited for that match. Yeah, I think it really depends on the health of Pulisic. I think that really can change the complexity of this match. Um that being said, the United States has not considered a goal from open play in group stage. Um, so really impressive defensively for them. So this could be a 0-0 game with that, you know, penalty potential for a shootout. Yeah, and let's, let's just hope, the, like, like this game where there were so many opportunities that um, Iran was looking for a penalty kick that we, we don't see any penalty kicks because um, the run of play the U.S. has been very, very good defensively. Uh, any final thoughts and, and where can people follow you on social media? Yeah, I just think it's an exciting time in uh, U.S. soccer, uh, especially after they missed in 2018 the World Cup. In fact, if they made the World Cup and they got out of the group stage, U.S. is in the Olympics. You know, there's a lot of good things going on in U.S. soccer, so it's a you know super fun time. So people should enjoy it. Uh, people can follow me on Twitter at Tanner Rebello or read TrifectaNetworkSports.com. And make sure to check out all of Tanner's great coverage at TrifectaNetworkSports.com, as well as on Twitter. You can follow me at Sean Donahue, and, of course, follow the podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, all at Revolution Recap. Please rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our friends at The Bent Musket. Thanks again for listening. We're hoping to be back after the Netherlands match later this week. Should be a very exciting one on Saturday. Uh, We'll keep you posted on that on all of our social media channels. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.